Uh, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, so glad that you're here today. Uh, so uh, here's the question that we want to start off with today. Uh, what do you need to do to win at life? Uh, here is the definition uh, according to the game of life. So if some of you guys uh, remember playing the game of life with the little, you know, cars that go around the board, uh, here's what they say. Uh, this is the whole instructions, actually. Hit the road for a roller coaster life of adventure, family, unexpected surprises, and pets. I think that's new. We didn't have that when I was a kid. You didn't have pets. Uh, want to take the family path? Start a career or venture down a risky road? In this game, players can make their own exciting choices as they move through the twists and turns of life. How exciting. Move the car token around the game board from the start to retirement and experience the unexpected surprises related to family, career, and other milestones of life. And then the player with the most money at the end of the game wins. Uh, question. How many of you agree? How many of you believe that the, the answer to how you went at life, that if you were to go around and find out who, if we just lined everybody up in this room based off of how much money we have, would we find that the person with the most joy, the most contentment, the most peace in their heart, the person with the deepest relationships, is that also the person who has the most money? Anybody agree with that idea? Uh, secondary question then, how many of you, if you're honest, even though you don't really believe it, there's times during the year, during today, or even though you know it's probably not true, you're tempted to believe that that is true, that you would be a little bit happier, that your life would be a little bit better if you just had more money. You honest people. It's good. One day, uh, Jesus uh, was walking. It says, just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Uh, and this is really kind of the question. And uh, if you've been with us for a while, uh, we talk about this idea that when Jesus was talking about eternal life, nine times at least out of ten, he was not saying, what must I do, or this, what this guy was asking was not, what must I do so I can go to heaven someday when I die? What he's asking is, what must I do to win at life? Uh, what must I do to live blessed life? Uh, what must I do to experience life at the full? If I want to experience a life where I just feel to the brim full of love and joy and hope and peace, like what must I do? And there's a lot of different folks that are asking that question all the time. What must I do to get eternal life? And there's a lot of different influences out there that would love to give you the answer of what you need to do to have eternal life. Uh, here's just a couple of uh, examples of that. Uh, so this is an ad from uh, Coca-Cola, I believe. There you go. Not very good resolution there. But think about this ad for a second. Like, what are they like promoting here? And I think this is like brilliant on Coca-Cola's part. Is there's something like the key to eternal life 
is like relationships. Like you need family. You need friends. Like picture yourself like, you know, surrounded at a table or, you know, you're outside at a barbecue and you're laughing and you're just with people that love you and want to spend time with you. And you can have that kind of a life. All you need to do is buy some Coke and it's just, it's there. It's going to happen. Uh, or how about this one? Uh, this one's a little bit older. Uh, and so in this one, from Mac Computers, uh, they're promoting the idea, I think, of life, eternal life. It's like, it's, if you're creative, uh, if, you're, if you're smart, uh, if you're someone who, like, everyone else is kind of going this way, but like, you're, like, a little bit different, but in a good way. Uh, if you want that kind of a life, you can have it. It's at your fingertips. All you need to do is buy a Macintosh computer, and you will have it. Uh, fun uh, story about this actual deal. So this is for the um, iMac or something, which is like, I don't know how many years ago that came out. Uh, I was at, but it was like a big deal when it came out. Uh, I was actually at a meeting this past week uh, where someone was showing me their creative laboratory, and they have a lot of technology stuff. There was one of these that was there that was upside down, broken, literally was being used as a doorstop. Uh, but at one point, it was, yeah, someone spent a lot of money on that. Uh, or uh, last one, uh, I, I, I love this one. I mean, this, I mean, kind of everything's right about this, isn't it? I mean, like, this is like this, this guy's like good looking and he's like got like cool clothes and like he's just like, he, he just looks content and he's got margin in his life. I mean, he's got time just to like hang out around the sunset and I mean, just this guy is living the life, and they want you to know that if you want to have that just like relaxed demeanor in your life, you can have it too. All you need to do is buy that car, and it, it, it's going to happen for you. And there's, we're bombarded constantly with these ideas of you can have it. You can have the life that you've always wanted. All you need to do is get, do, purchase something. Uh, so this guy is coming to Jesus, and Jesus wants to know, and he wants to ask Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? Uh, which I think, at least at some level, I think is probably why all of us are here today, because we are hoping for something of that eternal life, both here on earth and someday. And so we want to know, what does Jesus have to say about what we need to do to get that? And so Jesus answers uh, in a pretty profound way. Uh, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. And we don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but this is pretty like, fundamental, foundational. That when it comes to the idea of what will really give you life, what will truly make you happy, what will truly give you joy, what will truly fill you up in life, in the long term, it's never, is it, a what. Uh, a what might make you happy for the day. It might make you, you know, when you first buy it, when you're unpacking it. But at some point, once it becomes a doorstop, it no longer gives you that same level. That real happiness comes with a who. And there's a lot of people, actually, who have a lot of what's who are missing out on who's, and they are not happy at all. And there's a lot of other people who have the right who's in their life. And even though other things in their life don't seem like they're really even going that well at all, 
there's a certain level of like eternal life in there. Uh, but Jesus is talking about specifically not just like any who's, but a certain who. And Jesus goes on. Uh, why do you ask me who is good? He said, and when he's talking about the idea of good uh, and who, he's talking about himself. Uh, that the idea of you want to have eternal life, then you need to follow Jesus. You need to be a disciple of Jesus, which is what we've been talking about in this semester. He says, if you want to enter life, if you want eternal life, you need to keep the commandments. And again, that's what we've been talking about in this series, is that for us, we don't want to just like transactionally become Christians. Of Jesus says, do you, do, you, do you want to believe in me? Yeah, I'll believe in you, and then we move on with our life. We want to look at Jesus as a guide for our life. Uh, we want to be friends with him. We want to follow him. We want to hear the things that Jesus tells us to do and actually do them. So Jesus is saying, if you want to have life, you need to look to me and you need to keep the commandments. Uh, to which the guy follows up with a great question. Uh, keep the commandments. To which he replies, which ones? Which I think is like the question that a lot of us have, right? Because as we look at, uh, here's the, the list of uh, different commandments. So when you look at the Old Testament of the Bible, there's 613 different commandments, uh, which you can make a good theological argument that as Christians, we're really not obliged to follow those laws. But in the New Testament, there's 1,050 different commandments. And so a great question is, how, how serious are we really supposed to take this? Like, how radical, like, do you really expect me to do all of these? Or can I just, like, pick the ones that, like, mean the most to me or the most convenient? You know, which ones do I actually need to do? Go to the next one. Uh, yeah, you wonder which ones he required. So here's how he, uh, Jesus responds. Uh, Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, it's just kind of for starters. Which is like, pretty like, it's a pretty good list. Uh, the guy responded, all these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Uh, which is a pretty amazing statement on his part. He is saying that if you look at that list, uh, go to the next one. He's saying, yeah, I, I'm good. I, I can put a check in every single one of those boxes. Uh, and we don't know exactly what he was thinking as far as those boxes, because if you know Jesus' teaching, Jesus kind of upped the ante on a lot of these. And so when he talks about murder, he says it's not just about murder. It's about don't even get angry uh, we talked about don't commit any adultery. He talked about don't even lust. But whatever the case, this guy is saying, yeah, I, I feel like I have done a great job with every single one of these. Uh, and when different people talk about this story, uh, biblical philosophers, uh, theologians, they kind of differ on like, what was going on with this guy. Uh, some people say this guy was just like a prideful, self-righteous kind of guy. This guy thought way too high of himself. Like, there's no way he was actually doing all of these to the degree that he thought it. He just thought he was just way better than what he really was. He's trying to, like, put on a show. And maybe that was the case. Other people, they say, you know, maybe, maybe this guy was just actually pretty awesome. Maybe this guy was, like, pretty good about doing the right thing. He had just really oriented his life in such a way where he was doing as many good things, avoiding as many bad things as possible. Uh, and we don't really know. But what we do know about the guy uh, is here's what he says. He said, all these I have kept. But 
what do I still lack? And I think this is big for a lot of us. Because whether we're more prideful, self-righteous, maybe some of us, uh, maybe if uh, we just misunderstood somewhere, a lot of us have been on this journey of trying to do some of the things that God has called us to do. We've done some of the commandments. Uh, sorry, go, go back one, Aizen. Uh, we've been trying to follow with some of these different uh, commandments. We've started to come to church. Uh, we've started to maybe pray or read the Bible. Uh, maybe we've joined a community group and we've shared some stuff. Uh, maybe we've tried Sabbath. Maybe, you know, we, we've been working to try to apply some of these commandments. But we still have something where it's like, what? there's still something I, I'm lacking. There's something, like, there's something I think I'm missing. Because if this following Jesus thing is supposed to give you life, supposed to give you eternal life, if it's supposed to like somehow transform you that, you know, even if everything else, your circumstances aren't great, you just are filled with love and joy and peace, uh, or maybe as you look at other people and the way in which they're following Jesus, you just kind of have this sense like they have something that I don't, there's, as much as I'm trying, there's something that I'm lacking. And so tell me, Jesus, what, what else is there that I need to do? Uh, and then here's how Jesus responds. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then you can come and really follow me. And this is what we're going to camp out on uh, for the rest of our time, and we're going to look at uh, one question and then a couple different statements uh, in regard to this. And so first question that I think a lot of us have when we look at something like this. The first question is, is this serious? Like, was Jesus actually telling us that this is what we need to do? Uh, when we look at uh, this verse, uh, go to the next one there. Was Jesus, was Jesus saying, one, that we need to be perfect? I mean, come on, who, who can be perfect? You know, is that, is that really what Jesus is telling us to do? I mean, how about if we're just like pretty good? You know, like, hey, is that, is that, is, and if we are supposed to be, does Jesus actually want us to sell our stuff and give money away to the poor? Is that what we're really supposed to do? And I think it's a fantastic question, and we can have different uh, ideas about it. Uh, here's how I want to talk about it today. One of the ways in which I try to figure out how serious the Jesus stuff is, and how much, like, what's the, the original, what, was, what did Jesus really mean by this? How did Jesus actually want us to live? Is I try to go back as far as I possibly can to the actual source. Uh, so if any of you guys ever played the game Telephone, you know, where you like, have a message that you give someone, and then you keep passing it down the line, and by the end, it just gets, like, all kind of, like, screwed up. Uh, there's all kinds of things that when you look at, like, the message of Christianity, that over the last 2,000 years, as it's kind of gone from person to, you know, it, there's a lot of stuff that churches do, Christians do, pastors preach, that, like, when you look at it, it's like, I don't know if that's really what Jesus, like, when you go back, it doesn't quite track. And so a good way is to say, let's go back to like what the people in the first century, how were they actually living this out? How would they have heard this? How would the original disciples that were following Jesus, that knew the most about Jesus, how were they kind of interpreting these texts? Uh, and so first, uh, what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks is this idea of being disciples, which is what Jesus calls all of us to do. And what we've been saying is what Jesus said 
is that he wants us, they were supposed to go out and they were supposed to teach them, us, to obey everything I have commanded. That the original kind of idea of the disciples was that they were going to try to live and they were going to teach not some of the things that Jesus taught, but all the things that Jesus taught. And not just like, oh, we can like cherry pick, but actually do all of them. And what we see in the first century, especially as it relates to money, is they were actually putting this into practice. Uh, so after Jesus uh, was crucified, he rose from the dead. The early church is just sprunging up. And here's one of the first things that it lets us know about the early Christians, uh, these uh, first uh, people, disciples of Jesus. It says that they sold property and possessions so that they could give to anyone who had need. They were actually doing it. Uh, a couple chapters later, uh, talking about how this early church was uh, developing, said all the believers were one in mind and in heart. And no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they just shared everything. Like, oh, you don't have one of those? You can have mine. Let me just, yeah, you need a place to stay? You need my car? Like, just share everything. Uh, then a little, a little later on, one of the early disciples of Jesus, a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, you've probably heard of him. Uh, here's what he said. He said, we must help the weak, remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said. This is what Jesus said. You remember? It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's a better way to live. Uh, and then a couple hundred years after the early disciples, uh, there was a, a guy, uh, the emperor of Rome at the time, a guy named Julian. Uh, we've looked at this quote before. Uh, but Julian uh, was pretty upset uh, because Christianity was just growing like wildfire. Just so many people were following Jesus. And he was trying to figure out, what, why is Christianity growing so much quicker than the, kind of the Roman cult? Like, why are so many people worshiping this Jesus guy and not worshiping the emperor like they used to and like, and like they should? And here's one of the reasons why he saw that Christianity was so attractive to other people. Uh, again, it's from the Emperor Julian. It said, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priest, that was the Roman priest, uh, then I think that the impious Galileans, uh, which is what they had called Christians because Jesus was from a place called Galilee, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. These early Christians just saw these poor people just devote themselves to generosity. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. And so from the first couple hundred years of Christianity, what you see, and you can just look any like historical document of this, is that these early Christians took this idea of generosity radically. It wasn't like, oh, we'll give a couple extra bucks when we can. It was this idea of like, if there is need in the world, we are going to live this like above and beyond crazy selling, sharing. We really believe it's better for me to give my stuff than to get stuff kind of radical way. They actually lived it because I think when they looked at the words of Jesus, they really took it seriously. Uh, so that's the first statement is that did, did they actually take this stuff seriously? And I think you can make a hard argument that those first disciples took it seriously, and I wonder if we should as well. Second thing then, uh, more of a statement now, uh, and this is uh, from Jesus. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, 
It's hard. If this is really a serious thing that we're supposed to live, this radical form of generosity to the point of selling stuff, that is really, really hard. Uh, And especially hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom uh, of heaven. The richer you are, the harder it is to be able to give money away. Uh, Go to the next one. Uh, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And so this guy who's having this conversation who wants to find life, he looks at, here's what Jesus is asking him to do. He has this moment of like, I don't, that's too hard. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, I don't know if I can give that much. Uh, And that is incredibly important for all of us that are sitting in this room. Because what is true of every single one of us is that we fall into that same camp, whether we think about this or not, is we are very, very rich. Uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, this is uh, from a, a website that I love. Uh, you can, I don't know how well you can read that. You can put your income in there, and you can find out where you rank as far as the richest people in the world. So you can kind of build yourself up a little bit. And so uh, the number I put in is $30,000 a year for a family. Uh, and the reason why I picked that number a lot is because that was my salary when I first graduated college. So that was, that was my first income, 30 grand a year, uh, student pastor, uh, that's what you you get. Uh, benefits and all, baby. Uh, so if you are someone as a family, you make $30,000 a year, which some of you uh, might make less than that. Uh, some of you might make more than that. But if you find yourself in that camp, if you can read in there, and you are in the 4.7% of richest people in the world, you're a 4.7%er, baby. Uh, you haven't quite made it to the one percenters, but as far as 95% of people in the world, you would be considered to be rich to them. And the more money you have, the harder it is for you to think about giving it away. Uh, And two ways I want to talk about this. One, I know that um, anecdotally. Um, I actually gave all my money away once. Uh, When I was an intern in college, I worked at a church in Texas. I was an intern, and uh, I had $20 to my name. Uh, Some of you know what's that like. Uh, Maybe right now, maybe you only have $20 to your name. Uh, But I kind of felt this kind of conviction from these kind of teachings, and this thought, I think I need to give my $20 away. And it was hard, but I gave that $20 away. But now, as a 43-year-old with a bigger salary in retirement and, and a house, the idea of giving all of my money away is way more scary. And the more money you have, the harder it is to give it away. And stats across the board pan this out, that some of the most generous people by percentage are people with less money. And the more money you get, oftentimes the less money you give away. That's the first reason why it's difficult. But then I would also say that for those of us that are in this room, because we live in the West, because we live in America, it is incredibly difficult for us. Uh, Because as my friend Brian often says, discipleship works. The idea of all of us are following somebody. If we're not following Jesus, we are following the example of someone else. If we're not learning to, to learn and obey all the things that Jesus is telling us to do, then we are learning, we are being discipled by somebody else. And all of us, to some extent, are being discipled by this culture of consumerism 
and more. Uh, here's a couple of quotes that I thought were pretty interesting. And these are kind of from the early part of last century as America was really just kind of building up uh, its economy. Uh, this first one this is from a guy named uh, Paul Mazur, who worked for uh, Lehman Brothers in 1920. So this is a long time ago. Uh, and he said, we must shift America from a needs to a desire culture. Right now, people are buying things that they need, food, water, shelter. We need to change that. We need them to buy things that, I don't need this, I just want it. I just desire it. We need to create that somehow. Uh, He goes on, people must be trained to desire to want new things even before the old has been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. I need to buy new clothes. It's, you don't have any clothes? No, I have, I have a closet full of clothes. I just don't like them anymore. Uh, I need to buy a new car. Does your car not work anymore? No, I just, I just want a better one. I need to buy a new computer. Does your computer not work anymore? No, I just need better. goes on. That we convert the... Sorry, go back... This is a different quote from Victor Lebo. This is from 1955. It said, Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life. That we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals. That we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. Part who I am, my identity, my looking for eternal life is based off of what I own. We need things consumed, burned up, and replaced and discarded at an ever-accelerating rate. And whether we've thought about this or not, we have been, like the quote said, we have been trained in this. We have been discipled in this way. And inadvertently, we have followed behind. We're, myself, very much included. We, we desire things that we don't need. We burn things up. Uh, we consume things at a rate that is just a little bit uh, ridiculous. And so, uh, Jesus says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That for us to follow this command that Jesus is telling us to follow him, it is, it is hard. It is incredibly difficult. It's, inc- it's difficult because all of us are already rich, and it's difficult because of the culture that we swim in. The, the water that we swim in is just so full of just more and more and more. I mean, every commercial, every if, thing we see constantly, every time we open up our phones, we're just bombarded with these discipleship messages of what we need. Uh, Third thing then. Uh, So first, I think Jesus was serious. Uh, It's really hard to do. The last thing is I think it's possible. Uh, This is what Jesus said. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, and they asked, who then can be saved? I mean, if that's what you're asking us to do, I mean, who could possibly do that? Who can get this blessed salvation, eternal type life? I mean, is it even possible? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. If you just want by yourself to swim against culture like this, if you by yourself want to be generous like this, it's probably impossible. But with God, there's a supernatural 
thing that can happen inside of you that can change you from the inside out, that can actually change your desires, that can change your heart, that can reprogram the way in which culture has programmed us. And with God, all things are possible. And I believe that that's true because it's happened. Uh, Those first uh, disciples that were listening there, uh, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. They, they, They actually did it. And they lived that way on and on and on again. And throughout history, it's happened. Uh, one of my favorite uh, examples of this is a guy named uh, John Wesley. Uh, some of you might have heard of John Wesley. Uh, lived uh, about 500 years ago or so. He was the founder of the Methodist Church. When you either know he's gone to a Methodist Church or a Wesleyan Church, uh, he was the creator of that, this amazing person. So John Wesley, in an age when a single man could live comfortably on 30 pounds, a year, his annual income reached 1400 So he's very wealthy uh, in this world. Uh, here's kind of his story, though. He records that one year, his income was just 30 pounds, just enough, uh, and his living expenses were 28 pounds. So he had two pounds to give away. So met his basic needs, but he had some money to give away, two pounds. That was good. The next year, his income doubled, but he still managed to live on 28 pounds So now we have 32 pounds to give to the poor. In the third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. Instead of letting his expenses rise with his income, which is so normal, he kept them to 28 pounds and gave away 62 pounds. In the fourth year, he received 120 pounds. And as before, his expenses were 28 pounds, so his giving rose to 92 pounds. And there's been multiple different amazing disciples of Jesus over the year that have kind of followed this same example of I'm going to set a a kind of a ceiling for here's how much I need to survive in this culture, which is different amounts for different cultures. But anything above that, I, I don't need more. I'm going to give it away. And that's possible. Uh, Or a story that I've uh, told on many different times is our friend uh, Richard. Uh, He was my friend that when we were in Guatemala years ago, and this happens sometimes, where he just saw so much need. You know, we we also kind of know that we're probably richer than the rest of the world, and there's other people that don't have their needs being met. We just don't, it doesn't come to our heart and our mind, but we just spent a week in a village seeing the needs of the world, and he was just so hit by it. And one of the things that he realized was, I have two 401ks. My wife has one. I have one. We don't need both 401ks. So let's give one away so that we can give more money away to the poor. It's possible. And for that matter, even as I look at the room here, as I know some of the people that are watching online right now, it's possible. There's at least two families in our church that I know of that had houses that they thought, you know, we don't need this much, so they, ho- they sold their expensive house so they could downsize to give money away. There's families that are a part of our church that have sold cars so they can give money away. There's definitely families right now that I'm looking at that you're driving cars that, I mean, you could be driving a better car, come on. Like, we, 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 know, we know how much money you have. You, you could have done a better renovation on your house. You could have taken a better vacation. You have intentionally decided that you are going to live on less, buy less, consume less, so that you can give more away. It is possible. 
what exactly do we do with all of that? Uh, so uh, as we end, uh, I'd like to give us a chance to like reflect a little bit on this because it's like, I don't know, it just feels so big and like what exactly do we do with it? And like I, I very much, any of you like feel like the tension of this, like I, I get it. Uh, we have a house that we love. Uh, we have two cars. Uh, I woke up and I got to choose what clothes I was going to wear. <laughs> I definitely, some of you guys know me, I definitely got to pick uh, what shoes I wanted to wear. I love shoes. Like, I get the idea of just like, where do we actually live? And even as we've been getting ready, no one is going to preach on this today. Ash and I have had multiple conversations over the last little bit of like, all right, you're gonna, this big idea of Jesus actually wants us to live incredibly What does that actually mean for us? And it's, it's tension. I get it, and I think we should live in that tension. But here's a couple of things that I want you to just kind of wrestle with as you're thinking about this over the next couple of weeks. I encourage you, if you're not a part of a community group, get a part of a community group. Uh, if you're part of a community group, make sure you're at your community group next Sunday, because I think this will be a great chance for you just to discuss and just how does this like apply to you. Uh, so I want to look at a verse uh, from 1 Timothy. Uh, this is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Again, this is Paul who said it's better to give than to receive, who lived incredibly radically generous. And here's what he writes. And I want us to give us a couple of things to think about and to wrestle with as we look through this. So here's what he says. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content. And by, I, pr- I printed this on your program. So if you have a program, you can look at this. You might want to circle some of these words. But this next week, would you wrestle with this idea? How content are you? I'm guessing that most of you have your basic needs met. Uh, Maybe you don't, and so maybe that's another uh, uh, tension that you're working through. But for most of us who have our basic needs met, how content are we really? How much do we feel like that, you know, what I have is enough? Or do we have this feeling that like, For me to really be happy, for me to really be content, for me to really, I need more. Even though anecdotally, we all know like we've got more stuff before, we've got a new car before, we've got a new phone before, and it made us happy for a second. It's kind of like caffeine happiness. But are we really content? And could God transform something inside of us to actually make us content? Uh, Paul goes on. Some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith. Is there something in your life where you knew God was calling you towards something? There was something in this discipleship journey where God was saying, I want you to focus your your time, your energy on this thing. But because of money, you've kind of like said no to that. Maybe it was talked about the end of Sabbath and God said you need to... But you're so... I got to have more that you just keep skipping it or sleep or relationships or something that God's called you to give extra money away and you've kind of lost part of your faith because you thought you needed more money. Is that true at all of you? Uh, Next one. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Is that true of you at all? In the pursuit of money, have you ended up just digging yourself into a really stressful, hard hole? Uh, Maybe it's just consumer debt that just feels so heavy 
Maybe it's other money that you owe somewhere or just some sort of decisions that you've made that just have just caused so much grief and stress and angst in your life. You know, if I just wouldn't have been so money hungry, I could have avoided that. Is in some way that true of you? Uh, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Is there a part of, as you think about the money that you do have, that it, it makes you arrogant? That maybe as you drive through certain neighborhoods, you like feel a little bit better about yourself than the folks who live in that neighborhood because I have more than what they do. Or as you look at maybe you go to a family thing and you, you're comparing yourself to brothers and sisters or cousins or you know, where your parents were. Or, is there a part that because of what you have, you feel arrogant and your money has not made you more loving or graceful or generous, but it's created something inside of you that is just ugly. Is that something that's true of you? Uh, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, but to put their hope, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Uh, I love this question. Uh, which of these facts would be scarier and more unsettling to you? If you woke up tomorrow morning and someone said, there is no God. We've, we, we've, we've researched it. And we've had like, we, scientifically, historically, we can prove it now. It was all a lie. Jesus did not rise from the dead. It was, it was all made up. Uh, it, we are all just like a, a product of chance. The whole thing was a farce. There is no God. Or you wake up tomorrow morning and there's no more money. Uh, other people have money, but your money's gone. Uh, it, bank account crashed. Stock market went out. Uh, the, the house is getting foreclosed on. The car is getting taken away. You are going to have nothing. Both would be bad. Which is more unsettling to you? Where is your hope and your trust, really? He goes on. God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love this question, too. Do you actually enjoy the stuff that you have? Uh, as we think about this, it's kind of made like our think about our stuff in our house and so uh made us we go went up in our attic yesterday and we're like we're looking at all the stuff we have like do you do you have stuff that you don't even enjoy like you're going to your house you're just like all this stuff actually stresses me out this causes me to, like i don't even like the stuff i have it's a problem <laughs> you're supposed to enjoy your stuff and if you have so much stuff that you're not even enjoying it anymore or you don't even have time to enjoy it? Is there something that God's calling you to do? A new way of life, a new programming. Uh, he goes on. Command those to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Is this, this is what the early Christians were known for. This was their reputation. These are just some of the most radically generous, like they just serve and give. They've made philanthropy a way of life. They made service a way of life. When your coworkers, when your family, when, when other people think about you, are you just famous? 
for your good deeds? Uh, or is what you want them to know about you more your stuff? Uh, he goes on, and to be generous and willing to share. How generous are you? How much are you giving away? And the things that you need, how willing are you to share those with others if they need them? Is your stuff just for you or is there an ability to be able to share? Um, then he ends. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the folks who decided to live this way. Not be arrogant, generous, not falling into destruction. They will build up a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus arguably talked more about money than he did about anything else. And I wonder if it's because it's, it was so much in that culture back then. I think it's even more so 2,000 years ago. And then if we feel like we're missing the life that Jesus is promising, is maybe one of the big keys is that we need to radically rethink the way in which we're looking at our stuff so that we can truly live. Uh, I want to give you a few minutes before we set up a communion just to think through that verse. So again, I said I printed it on your program. Uh, if you would, for like a moment or so, a couple of minutes, read through that verse of 1 Timothy and ask this question, what is God rising up to you? Is there something in what Paul spoke to us 2,000 years ago that maybe God is speaking to you, calling to you, convicting you, encouraging you to take a step in today, tomorrow, sometime this week? And then whatever rises up to you, I hope you share that with somebody else soon. Uh, but please take, those couple, take a couple minutes right now and just read through those verses asking the Holy Spirit to rise some words out of that text to you and to your heart and to your life.